0: Thank you for joining us uh, this afternoon. I appreciate your willingness to have this conversation. Um, As I said at the outset of today, there are a lot of questions uh, that need to be asked and also need to be answered. Um, As you know, a lot of people have been hurt, genuinely hurt. And my hope is that over uh, the time we have together that we can have a candid conversation about what happened, how it happened. Uh, there are people who are angry and they are seeking answers. Um, I just want everybody in the audience to know um, that I received thousands of letters and emails even in the past couple days uh, from a lot of these people who feel like they're victims. And some of them uh, have questioned whether we should have this conversation, whether we should have this interview. Um, there are people who don't believe that this conversation should happen. And I just want to say that I think our job as journalists uh, is to have those conversations is to ask those questions and seek those answers on behalf of the public. Uh, And that is especially true right now. Sam, here's where I wanna start this conversation, if we could. Um, I think at this point there are two ways uh, to view what has happened at FTX. And I know we'll get into all of the details in a moment, but I'm just gonna go very basic. Uh, There's a generous view. And the generous view is that you are a young man who made a series of terrible, terrible, very, very bad decisions. The less generous view is that you have committed a massive fraud, that this is a Ponzi scheme, a manipulation of the system. And I want to start there because I think that there are so many people who have that question, which is what is this and what did happen?
1: Yeah, look, thanks for having me. And um, and at the end of the day, I, I was CEO of FTX. And that means whatever happened, whyver it happened, I had a duty. I had a duty to all of our stakeholders, to our customers, uh, our creditors. I had a duty to our employees, to our investors, and, and to the regulators in the world uh, to do right by them, to make sure that the right things happened at the company. And uh, clearly, I didn't do a good job of that. Um, clearly, I, um, I made a lot of mistakes or, or things I. Would give anything to be able to do over again. Um, I didn't ever uh, try to commit fraud on anyone. I, I was excited about the prospects of FTX a month ago. Um, I saw it as a thriving, growing business. I was shocked by what happened this month, and you know, reconstructing it, I, uh, were there things I wish I had done differently? Well, let's let's talk about some of the things you
0: you you would want to have done differently. Uh, but I don't want this to be an abstraction. Uh, for folks, because it's a lot of big numbers, um, and often doesn't feel human. Um, one of the, the letters I got, uh, I want to read to you, Sam, um, because it's from a gentleman who said that he lost his life savings. Um, and the subject line is, Sam Bankman-Fried stole $2 million from me. says, Andrew, can you please ask SBF why he decided to steal my life savings? And the ten billion dollars more from customers to give to his hedge fund, Alameda. Can you ask him why his hedge fund was leveraging long all of these S coins? I'm going to keep it polite for the kids. Please ask him if he thinks the thinks what happened was fraud. These are the kinds of letters that I've been getting
1: repeatedly over the past several days. What do you tell this this man? Yeah. Um. I mean, I'm. Deeply sorry about what happened. Um, here's, you know, the long and short of what happened. And, and I'll start by saying, uh, just to, to make a distinction here, you look at the U.S. platform, you look at the international platform. The U.S. platform uh, is a U.S.-regulated platform with American users. To my knowledge, that's fully solvent, that's fully funded, and uh, you know, I believe that withdrawals could be opened up today, and everyone could be made whole. From that, that none of these problems prey plagued the the U.S. platform. Um, then you look at the international platform, uh, you know, for their non-U.S. users, and uh, I mean, as the letter says, uh, Alameda Research did have a long position, and the international platform, it's a margin trading platform, it's a derivatives platform, it's a platform where all the clients were, you know, going on placing something as collateral and using that to put on a position, whether that's a futures position, a spot position, a borrow, um, and you know, what the exchange was storing was the collateral from all of those positions. Uh, Alameda Research was you know, one of those that put on positions there. And as I try and reconstruct this um, you know, over the last month, I, I have limited access to data, but um, my, 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 my view of it um, from what I have been able to see, is roughly that, um, you know, basically, look, a year ago, um, Alameda had, I think, something like 10% leverage, you know, had something like 10 times the assets of the position that it had on. Over the course of the last year, there were a number of market crashes um, that drove the value of those assets down and the leverage up. Um, I think it was, to my knowledge, still under 2x leverage, you know, as of uh, a month ago. you look at the, what happened this month and, uh, you know, in a few days, all out, um, I mean, PR Assault, which led to a total market collapse in a pretty short period of time, no bid side liquidity, um, I think more than $10 billion wiped off in the matter of days. And uh, realistically speaking, no ability for FTX to be able to, to liquidate that position and generate everything that was owed for it. But I it. think the bigger question is where
0: Alameda got the loan from, yep. which is to say that there is a view that this is about commingling of funds. Right. And, and and in that letter uh, that I just read you, um, this gentleman actually copy and pasted the terms of service for FTX into the email. And I just want to read you this. It says, none of the digital assets in your account are the property of or shell, or maybe loan to FTX trading. FTX trading does not represent or treat digital assets and users' accounts as belonging to FTX trading. So how is it possible that Alameda had this loan of
1: such a large size? So there is that piece from the terms of service, um, but there were a number of other parts of the terms of service and a number of other parts of the platform on top of that, there is the borrow lending facility, where users were lending billions of dollars of assets to each other, um, you know, collateralized by assets on the exchange. Um, You had, uh, and you had obviously futures contracts where there are leveraged positions on. Now, of course, all of this, um, it's meant to be the case that these are positions where FTX could, uh, if it needed to, margin call those positions and close them down in time such that it would cover all of those, uh, you know, all those shorts, all those liabilities. Obviously that wasn't the case here and that's a massive failure of oversight of risk management um, and of, uh, you know, diffusion of responsibility from from myself running FTX. Um, well, but let's but just, but just yeah. make this very straight.
0: Was there commingling of funds? That's what it appears like. It appears like there's a, been a, a genuine commingling of the funds that are of FTX customers that were
1: not supposed to be commingled with your separate firm. I ain't knowingly commingle funds. And again, one piece of this, you have the margin trading. You have, you know, customers borrowing from each other. Alameda is one of those. I was frankly surprised by how big Alameda's position was, which points to another failure of oversight on my part. Um, and a uh, failure to appoint someone to be chiefly in charge of that. Uh, but uh, I wasn't trying to commingle funds.
0: Let me ask you this. The Wall Street Journal reported that Carolyn Ellison um, told Alameda staffers that Alameda used FTX client funds to cover loans that were being recalled because of the Luna triggered credit crunch. Carolyn says that she, Sam, gary were aware of this how do you square that with what you originally said over twitter that this was an eight billion dollar accounting mistake
1: so uh i'll point to two things and first of all obviously i don't know what anyone else is thinking here you know i can only talk about it from what i know from what i knew um and a lot of this is reconstructing it over the last month i've limited access to data but uh but you know what it seems like happened is in the middle of the year um uh, a lot of you know most of the borrow lending desks in the space blew out or closed down and um it seems like alameda had you know margin positions opened with them and that it likely moved a bunch of that over to ftx uh this year when they shut down and that means you know i i think it was over collateralized um positions Um, but positions that involve substantial size and substantial U.S. dollar size on the borrow side. Uh, In terms of the uh, accounting mistake, um, again, looking through what happened, um, I think that there is a substantial discrepancy between what the financials were, what the audited financials were, the true financials, um, what the exchange understood, all of that was was consistent, um, versus what the dashboards that we had displayed um, for, uh, for Alameda's account there, um, which substantially under-displayed the size of that position. And so uh, that's one of the reasons that I was uh, surprised when we dug into everything at, at how but, big that position had become. But, but when you would agree
0: that there is a much more closely connected um, version of FTX International and Alameda
1: than previously understood? To say, uh, yeah, I mean, given the size of the position, I think it, it was, uh, if not in intention, it was in effect, uh, tied together substantially more than I would have ever wanted it to be. So, you did an interview uh,
0: earlier this summer with Bloomberg, and you were asked about the connection between Alameda and FTX, and you said, uh, that obviously came from the, the, the same place because that's it started that way. Um, yep. And the same original people, but most of the remaining nexuses, you said, have dropped off. Yep. I know the people from Alameda decently well, almost as if you don't know what's happening there. And there isn't like a large amount, you know, of ways remain that we are actively working together. Anything like that. Alameda is a wholly separate entity. They're different offices, like different principal offices. We don't have any shared personnel. We're also not the same company. We're not all. Or under the same corporate umbrella, or anything like that, and yet it seems like Alameda people were living in the same penthouse where you may very well be right now, all together.
1: Um, I, most of Alameda was not uh, was not there. Uh, I, I don't live there now, but uh, or you know, not there now. I have not uh, lived there uh, for much of the time. But you know, I did live with 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 uh, one or two members of Alameda for a little while. Um, and I'll also say that, you know, as I was, you know, earlier this summer looking at the relationship, and this is a pretty big mistake in oversight of mine, I was viewing it primarily from the trading volume perspective because that's what drives our revenue. And so when I was looking at how intertwined our FTX and Alameda, you know, I was looking at, well, what fraction of trading volume, what fraction of liquidity on the platform does Alameda represent? That had fallen off from something like 45% in 2019 to something like right. 2% but this year. But in terms of positions and balances, it was a much larger fraction. I hadn't been looking at that. That's a pretty big overview. But Sam, he, I think the question is whether you were supposed to have access to these accounts to begin
0: with. You know, if if, if wow. I worked at a bank and was a bank teller, yep. and I decided to leave the bank at the end of the evening and take the cash that I we had access to, even if I intended to bring it back to the bank later, even with yep. more money
1: to give them back, I still stole the money. I mean, look, I wasn't running Alameda. I, I didn't know exactly what was going on. I didn't know the size of their position. Um, uh, a lot of these are things I've learned over the last month that I learned as I was sort of frantically digging into this on, you know, November 6th, November 7th, November 8th. Um, uh, and and uh, obviously, that that's a pretty big mistake on part. That's a pretty big oversight that I wasn't more aware. Um, I think I was, you know, scared of, um, I was nervous uh, because of the conflict of interest about being too involved. Um, and uh, obviously, that shouldn't have meant that I didn't have real oversight um, or that it really shouldn't have meant that I failed to point Anyone to be in charge of that oversight, that relationship, um, but I, I haven't been running Alameda. I, I, haven't been, you know, thinking about its finances. I haven't been, you know, making uh, those decisions. Uh, uh, but you know, as CEO of FTX, it was still my duty to make sure wanted. that someone was doing diligence. I was, I was a large owner of it. That is true, and I, uh, had uh, had a lot of exposure. On that side. Um, But why wouldn't you have been focused on it if in fact that's actually where the profits were? Well, I don't know that that's where I mean, I think Alameda had made trading profits over the last few years, but FTX had made profits as well. Um FTX had been a you know profitable growing business. Um and I was that was more than a full-time job. I didn't have the bandwidth to run two companies at once. I didn't have the you know, attention for it. Um, and and again, I, w- I was nervous about a conflict of interest between those two, and so was pretty intentional about not being uh, very involved in what was happening at Alameda. When, when did the combingling of assets begin? So, uh, and again, you know, lots of traders had open margin positions on FTX where they would have borrows of, of assets where they would be short some asset against uh, you know, against other assets as collateral. Um, that being said, I, again, looking through this now, um, I think that that position size for Alameda got substantially larger over the course of uh, 2022. And that it was, I think, substantially larger by October of 2022, um, you know, probably by July of 2022 than it had been in April.
0: But it sounds like it's fair to say that there was always a connection between Alameda and FTX and and almost, I mean, not almost, but from the very, very beginning. And then it never really stopped.
1: Well, I think it had been in some ways reducing. I mean, when you scroll back to 2019, Alameda and FTX were very connected in a number of ways. Um, You know, one of these was that Alameda was the primary liquidity provider on FTX. It was, you know, 40 something percent of volume. It was the backstop liquidity provider. Um, And, you know, you scroll forward to 2022, it was down to 2% of volume. Uh, We had a lot of backstop liquidity providers, but it still had a big margin position on. And I I was failing to pay nearly enough attention uh, to positions and positional risk on the exchange um, and to Alameda's in particular. Um, And I also, frankly, made a mistake that I feel pretty embarrassed to have made um, I mean, a lot of these are, but I substantially underestimated what the scale of market crash could look like and what the speed of it could look like but, and how correlated it would be. But just, that just suggests that you were just hoping,
0: perhaps hoping against hope that this would all work out and that nobody therefore would realize what this commingling was all about?
1: So it's not how I viewed it. and. In particular, again, most of the firms had margin positions. Most of the firms had borrows on FTX. The problem here, this one was, this was too big. It was. I was surprised by the size of what it was. But it's not just too it was, big. It, it's but, it's assets that.
0: Look, it sounds like there were assets that may have been allowable to be loaned,
1: but then there were assets that weren't allowable to be loaned. No. So. Uh, I'm still looking into the details of some pieces of this, but I do think that um, in addition to um, what I had seen is sort of a lot of the standard borrows here that um, we scroll back to 2018 uh, or to 2019, I guess, um, FTX didn't have bank accounts. It didn't have any bank accounts globally. We were trying to get them. it took us a while, took us a few years. Um, and you know, there are customers who wanted to wire money to FTX. And so I think in the meantime, um, some of them were wiring money to Alameda Research to get credited on FTX. And uh, I think that was a substantial sum. Uh, and I think that the FTX's internal accounting did correctly, effectively try to debit Alameda for those funds. But it didn't happen in the primary account. and so it didn't happen it you know it created a discrepancy between the display of the account and what was really going on there and um i uh, and I'm still looking into exactly how that how that worked mechanically uh, but i that that did make that position size substantially larger than than i thought and and I think then what you would have gotten from uh from most of the normal avenues
0: what do you make of? the argument that Alameda was used to effectively wash money into FTX, that American investors who, by the way, were not technically allowed to even invest on FTX, were doing so. And FTX was doing it knowingly because the the know your customer rules were being flouted by using this separate vehicle.
1: I. Uh, how would that allow customers to flood the Know Your Customer uh, rules? I, I, are you talking about people who are trading on FTX U.S., or are you talking about customers of FTX International?
0: International. You just said that there was money being sent to Alameda
1: and oh. that Alameda was then providing credits onto FTX. Right, But right. those users still had to go through the Know Your Customer policy on FTX in order to do that, in order to use that ramp. Customers still had to go through FTX's normal KYC onboarding.
0: So, when do you think you knew there was a
1: problem? So, um, uh, the time that I really knew there was a problem was November sixth. Um, November sixth was, uh, that was the date that the uh you know tweet about FTG came out, and I. Uh, by, by late on November 6th, we were putting together all of the data, putting together all the information that uh, obviously I should have put together way earlier, that obviously should have been part of the dashboards I was always looking at. And, um, I, you know, when we looked at that, um, there was a potential serious problem there. And I, you know, Alameda's position was big on FTX, it had just taken a huge hit. Um, it had taken hits over the course of the year, but that was a particularly you know, large and, and one and very abrupt. Um, and we're seeing a run on the bank start and that was leading to um, uh, you know, $4 billion a day of client withdrawals. Um, at that point, you know, we started calling perspective you know, sources of financing because I was, I was nervous about what was gonna happen there. Um, you know, if you rewind even a few days, um, I was I was a little bit nervous, but not on nearly the same scale. And I, I was thinking about uh, you know risks that were substantially less. Uh what Did that, you say that you
0: were nervous? You were nervous the company was gonna go under, you were nervous you were gonna get
1: caught. What what were you nervous about? Uh, on on like on November sixth or before then? Yeah. Either. Either. So I think before then. What I was nervous about was that basically, um, uh, and, and this started I would say November second or so when there was uh, you know ba- Alameda balance sheet um, you know through CoinDesk and um, and when I started uh, to to think uh, a bit more about this, um, you know I was nervous that that would lead to uh, substantial losses for Alameda um and that uh you know it would be a bit messy i didn't think it was existential for ftx i didn't think it was going to lead to a massive loss for ftx's customers Um, i was thinking of this as um more like alameda is going to be really tight on funds and uh uh and that, you know, maybe would end up having some small impact on FTX, but not not a significant one, not one that hurt customers at all. Um, I when you're talking about November 6th, late November 6th, then and, and especially as we bleed into November 7th and 8th, I start to become nervous that FTX is not going to be able to fill customer withdrawals. And, you know, by by late November 6th, I am very nervous about that. And I'm starting to think about like uh, emergency scenarios. And I'm starting to think about, like, things might, uh, things might end quite badly here. And 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 the core metric that I'm thinking of there is, will we be able to make sure all customers are whole? And, you know, uh, on November 5th, I was feeling quite good about that. On uh, November 7th, I was feeling quite uneasy about that.
0: I want to go back in time for a moment. Um... This summer, uh, you were described uh, oftentimes as the J.P. Morgan of crypto, referencing uh, the 1907 panic that he uh, helped prevent. Um, And you had uh, purchased BlockFi, were making investments in uh, Voyager and all sorts of other things. When you were doing that at that time, how much of that was an effort to prop up the value of things like FTT, which was the token of FTX, knowing that if a company like BlockFi, which owned a ton of it, um, that if it if it collapsed, FTT would collapse. And in large part, the quote unquote collateral that you had for Alameda would collapse.
1: So uh, I don't think any of the borrow lending desks guests- to my knowledge, owned a lot of FTT. I think a lot of them, you know, may have been using it as collateral, or you know, taking it as collateral. I don't think they owned it though, um, or were gonna sell it. And uh, I think that most of them ended up closing down uh, effectively all of their lines with Alameda one way or another. And so at that point, I think that that was close to uh, a sunk cost and um, and so I wasn't viewing it as having any, any impact on FTT in particular. Um, uh, I did view it as important for the industry's health. I did view it as a thing where uh, I wanted to try to keep the industry stable. Um, but I don't think it had any, you know, really large FTT-specific impact.
0: And did it have it? You didn't think it had any impact? It would have had no impact on Al- Alameda or FTX if, for example, Block 5 were to have failed?
1: I, I don't think it would have had large direct impact. And the reason I say that is that I believe that Alameda ended up returning the vast majority of its open borrows you know, of its margin positions with the borrow lending desks in the middle of this year anyway. And so at that point, there wasn't that much left to, to save from that. Um, uh, you know, the, uh, at that point, I think the bigger thing was just not wanting the industry to implode. Um, let's talk about collateral. Um, because I think this is this entire experience has
0: been a revelation for a lot of people about uh, what might be collateral. Um, and clearly you were using uh, FTT um, and Solana and other tokens uh, as collateral. And part of that required you to mark them in a specific way, a value to them. Um, yep. Do you think that you were marking them properly?
1: Uh, in Alamu's case... I don't think I was marking them uh, the way I wish I had from a risk perspective, and I want to sort of differentiate here, like expected value or or sort of like worth or something like that from security. And uh, you know, I think that uh, I don't have any strong statements to make about you know what value they're assigned from sort of like you know a upside perspective or even a median case perspective. Um, but clearly, I was, uh, I was not nearly cautious enough from a downside perspective from an extreme downside perspective. And, um, you know, I can tell you, in my head, I was looking at a 30% down move over a few day period as a sort of like extreme tail case event that you know, we had seen once before. Um, and I uh, And then, you know, what happened here was a, uh, I mean, a 95% down move over the course of a year um, and a, you know, 60% down move over a few day period with very little liquidity and all happening at once in all of these coins in a correlated fashion, in which hedges didn't mean as much also because this was a specific crash on assets associated with Alameda Research rather than all assets. And so you know, even correlated hedges had limited use there um, and a run on the bank at the same time. And all of that are things, in retrospect, I should have expected might happen in uh, an extreme scenario because that's how markets work. And you know we've seen other examples of that in history where when things get really bad, they get really bad for all of the relevant things at once in a very direct and correlated right. and, and quick way.
0: Back to the BlockFi uh, acquisition for a moment. Yeah. How much money do you think Alameda, I, I'd say that they had a lot of FTT, but that Alameda had borrowed from BlockFi?
1: Is helpful. Um, look for as rigorous of that as right. you can. Look for regulatory reporting, right? You look at what the JFSA had in place in Japan. Um, you look at what FTX US derivatives had with, you know, uh, sort of frequent reporting to regulators of exactly what, you know, customer assets, balances, liabilities, distributions are. Um, and uh, well, about the I governance piece. Yeah. What about the That's, governance piece? Because one of the things we have not talked about
0: is you had no board and you had no CFO.
1: And that so, should have been a red flag, frankly, for all of us. So interestingly, in some ways, we had too many boards. We had.